live from the Kima Podcast Studio in Pennsylvania. It's the Kima Podcast, the emergency management podcast for Kima members by Kima members. I'm your host, Paul Falavolito, and co hosting today's episode, Miss Amy Amir. Hey, Paul. Hey, what's going on? Happy Saturday to you, and boy, oh boy, do I have a, consider this your Easter basket treat. Wait, you got me, wait, you got me an Easter basket? Better oh than an God. Easter basket, I'm bringing you Josh Gelman live from the studio. Oh, hey, Josh, hey. He's not up. There it is. There is my audio. I'm wearing Easter bunny, you know, hats for Easter. He is. I know. He, wow. has, he has bunny ears. This is, again, why we need to figure out the video stream for this as well. Totally agree. Gentlemen, can you get on that for us? Eventually. I got things to do. <laughs> wow. Wow. I see where this whole project ranks in your list of things to accomplish. Yeah. So, anyways, it's episode three of the Kima podcast. And, um, I, you know, I say we just jump right into this week in emergency management news because it was a busy, busy week for a lot of EOCs across the state. Um, I'm sure, obviously, everyone on this episode uh, is aware of all the adverse weather that the Commonwealth experienced this week. Uh, multiple flooding events, tornado warnings. We had several EOC activations all the way from Lackawanna to Union. Am I saying that right? Is it Lackawanna? Lackawanna. Lackawanna County, Union County, Susquehanna County, Warren County. I mean, you know, the list just keeps going on and on with EOC activations. And, you know, we did, uh, the Commonwealth did experience a pretty good uh, hit from some storms. Looks like central in the eastern part of the state and uh you know i'm seeing everything from ef0 to an ef2 tornado touchdown in warren county gelman the media the the meteorologist yeah i mean so while warren county would be more like um you know northwestern pennsylvania but they did have some some decent weather up there and that, well, decent by my standards, I, I'm assuming most people don't want severe storms. I think they're interesting, so I'm all for it. Decent, yeah. decent weather. Yeah, but okay. Yeah, they had. Uh, I don't know what was confirmed up there. Do you have that? I, is that just that? I don't, uh, yeah, National Weather Service confirmed. <clears throat> excuse me, an EFT or an EFT, an EF two. <laughs> An EF2 tornado touched down in Warren County um, on 414. And so I, I guess that's that's my question. And, and again, for those of you listening that don't know, Josh Gelman, um, you know, Penn State School of Meteorology, uh, he's on staff here in White Oak with me uh, as a meteorologist and, and provides a lot of uh, valuable meteorological information for us he's also a cem deputy borough emc for white oak borough um you know he's taught me a lot about weather over the years and turned me into a little weather junkie my question for you is is there such a thing as um you know like 
can we historically go back somewhere and find out how many tornadoes touch down in Pennsylvania a year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can, it can, through the National Weather Service website, you could pull all that up. I'm just looking right now at the um, public information statements that the state college office issued for the weather that we had on the 14th and 15th. And I see that there were some of these other tornadoes that they confirmed, one in uh, Columbia County and uh, in addition to the Warren County one. I think there were a few others, uh, so they were busy with their with their damage survey. There's the EF2 tornado confirmed in Warren County. Um, says uh, maximum wind speed on that was 130 miles per hour. Fortunately, I don't think there are really any injuries, um, or at least no direct injuries from from most, if not all, of these uh, uh, tornadoes that we had. There was quite a bit of damage, but um, you know things can be rebuilt. So. Fortunately, not to no nobody was hurt that I'm aware of. Yeah, and and also tell me or tell everyone about the Commonwealth Watch and Warning Center, the CWWC. It says it went into an enhanced watch status during the week uh, of these storms. I, I didn't even know we had a Commonwealth Watch and Warning Center. Yeah, uh, that's kind of like you might consider that an, an emergency operations center. The state. Uh, Pennsylvania uses Commonwealth Resource Resource Coordination Center as the uh, uh, the name for the EOC that they have. Uh, it's kind of it, it, in the past, you know, administrations called it the EOC. This 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 current administration. So is this like where Jeff Jumper's working out of and issuing yeah, all the, the stuff? The CWWC. For yeah, it's it's uh, where uh, out of uh, Harrisburg, Dauphin County. Can you get him on the show? We need Jeff sure. Jumper on the show. I think that would be an amazing episode to have you and him because you guys know each other very well. I know you guys had a um, you know decent conversation at the last Kima conference in October, and um, you know, like Jeff says, we get to nerd out when we're all together and we talk about weather. Yeah, yeah, I think him and and. And Fred McMullen for the warning coordination meteorologist for Pittsburgh office would be good to have. Yeah, that would be great. They're they're both uh, world class guys uh, when it comes to meteorology and and everything that they do. So again, you know, what about you, Amy, out east? Um, did you guys get any of this weather? Um, we did have some rain and stuff last night. I saw that the um, everything expired, all of the flood warnings and everything. So um, it seems to be clearing out. Anything, any of that cause your EOC to go to an enhanced level of readiness? No, nope, just our watch office. Yeah. Nope. Our watch officer was just watching everything going on, sending out notices that way. Yeah, got it. A um, couple other things I want to talk about here as I as I scan the, the weekly Pima operational briefings, and that is going to be uh, a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that's going to be search and rescue because um it looks like out in in your favorite place lancaster county wait how do you say that lancaster county no no uh, here we go okay so listen so you know it, it it made it to the pima daily news brief 82 year old male went missing from his home um you know seemed to be missing for a little uh, just just under nine hours, and um, you know, search and rescue and Pennsylvania State Police, everyone involved, 
with that. And so <clears throat> I don't even know where to begin with this because I don't want to get on a soapbox because this could literally be its own um, podcast. Well, I have a question. Yeah. I have a question about search and rescue, especially for elderly people. Um, so does Pennsylvania have like a silver alert? So you're walking right into <laughs> the point that, that I'm about to make. Wow. And I'm going to say this, and I can comfortably say this because I have dedicated 14 years of my life to trying to make Pennsylvania better with search and rescue because we have a problem in Pennsylvania with search and rescue. And that is everywhere from Harrisburg East, so Harrisburg to Philly, when someone goes missing, they do it right. They actually call search and rescue teams. From Harrisburg West, they call the fire department. Okay? Okay. Now, we have search and rescue teams all over the Commonwealth. Professional, certified, trained men, women, canines that volunteer and do this for free. And, you know, we have a Pennsylvania Search and Rescue Council. I was on the board for many, many years for that. And if you remember last um, episode... I had mentioned that, you know, at the time, Bob Fuller appointed me to be on the Pima Committee for Search and Rescue to try to, you know, rustle all the search and rescue assets together, decide, you know, what are the standards, what are we going to recognize, and, you know, all that stuff goes on to become uh, the wilderness search and rescue thing um, in the PA Act. But we still have the fundamental problem, and it's because Pennsylvania is a commonwealth, and it says that every municipality reserves the right to manage their emergency uh, incidents, you know, at the lowest form of government and however they want. So if they don't want to call search and rescue, they don't have to. They're not going to. But I can tell you from a decade, almost a decade and a half now, of dealing with that framework, what generally happens is out west, they call fire departments, and it's usually many, many hours uh, after a person goes missing up to sometimes there's been cases where it's been a couple days when they finally throw their hands up and say, hey, we should probably call the search and rescue teams in, which makes it much harder. Um, You know, search and rescue should be activated early. I've always said this, that in my belief, you know, search and rescue is that, you know, fifth public safety uh, entity that always gets missed, police, fire, EMS, public works, and it should be search and rescue is the fifth one. But, uh, you know, we still have a lot of work to do. Now, I know that over the last decade, Pima has had two search and rescue coordinators. That would have been um, George Stapleton and Norm Ovel. And, both, and I worked with both of them, and both of them were great. Both of them had the enthusiasm, they had the framework, they had all the tools together to make search and rescue happen, but then politics happens. You get a new governor, people get reassigned, they reallocate assets within Pima, and now you don't have a search and rescue, a state search and rescue coordinator anymore. And so that's, again, to me, something that needs to be solved, but everyone listening emergency management, there is a thing called search and rescue out there. And if you find yourselves, you know, running uh, from an emergency management point of view, uh, an incident of someone that's missing, you should be getting search and rescue teams involved early, as early as you can. So where can 
the like because you you said basically on the eastern side of the state they're calling fire departments as opposed to no no western or western side yeah. of the state. I'm sorry. You know what would be the uh, resource that they should be uh, calling upon? You know, is there a, 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 a you know a dispatch center or some sort of you know repository of resources that they could access to find out? Well, when who I when, has- when I say they are calling fire departments, we're talking about the AHJ, the authority having jurisdiction, which obviously would be the police. All that anyone has to do is just contact, you know, by radio or phone their 911 center and say, I need search and rescue. So this is more of an educational problem or, or them not, not maybe not being aware of what's out there. So I think, and again, I can tell you this definitively because I've, I've literally, and you know this because you've been with me, Yeah, we've made the rounds to uh, talk with the police and emergency managers and fire departments. And at the expo, we're always, you know, we even had stickers made that said they're lost, they're not on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and handed them out. Really? Yes, we did. They're still for sale online. Yeah, I think some of it is, is you know, a, a, a territorial thing. It is, and, that, and that's exactly right. That's, that's exactly the point. And again, I'm not bashing fire. Fire has its role on searches. They do. They're manpower. You know, you could take one certified search and rescue person and put them with three or four fire departments and go out and do, you know, a, a, a grid or some kind of a search or a hasty search somewhere and get that going. So fire definitely has its place. They're just, they're not the optimal resource for incident command or, you know, being the ones that are deciding who's going into what areas to search. You need real search and rescue people. And and there are some that are are cross trained, I know, but it's just the vast majority yep. are not. Yeah, it's, just exactly. like you know, if you're you're right, if your house is on fire, you're not going to call in a search and rescue team. So, if you're lost, you're probably not going to want to have yep. just the fire department. Listen, when I sat on the national search and rescue board for a number of years, every year, uh, that's where the state and federal SAR coordinators had their annual meeting. And every single year that I was at those meetings, Pennsylvania never had a representative there until I saw Norm Ovel. That's where I met Norm. It was Myrtle Beach at the Myrtle Beach Search and Rescue Conference. And he came up to me and said, hey, you're a Pittsburgh guy. I said, yep. Yeah. And, you know, that, that began the relationship. And then, you know, I think it was a year, you know, a little north of a year later, Norm got reassigned and, you know, that's just the way it was. And then, you know, PA went back to having no representation at that table. But again, you know, it, it is out there for emergency managers. It's a, it's a great resource and, um, you know, they, they need to take a, uh, advantage of it, you know, and again, that should be part of everyone's plan, yeah. right? Municipal plan. What are we doing for search and rescue? Okay. So I'm done with that soapbox. Yeah. We could do a whole because series of podcasts yeah I, I think you have a whole podcast dedicated well, to search and rescue topic yeah and again you know maybe maybe we will um you know we'll, we'll we'll circle back to that here so that's kind of this week in emergency management news and um amy's actually traveling this weekend gelman she's on holiday i don't know if you're aware of that she's on holiday yeah and by holiday, holiday by holiday she is in western pa <laughs> <laughs> Uh, joining us by phone but um so so some chemo news from this week amy um you were on the 
Kima board meeting conference call. I was. Right? right? Anything, I was. anything new um, to fill us in on? We did approve the new logo for the Kima, for Kima. Well, okay. it was approved, but everybody saw it. And so it, it'll be, it'll be widely circulated here soon. Thank you. You're God. welcome. Yes. <laughs> um, we got the marketing committee. I think we, we changed the name of it. Marketing to media, right? Is that what it is now? Yeah. Media, media committee. committee. Uh, Galman, did you want a seat on that committee? Uh, on the media committee? Uh, yeah. I, I, I probably not on the media committee. Paul, no. could you cue the crickets there? I'm just saying. I, I don't have crickets loaded <laughs> into this episode, but you, you don't want me on a media committee. Let's just put it that way. It, it, Why it, not? It would not be good for, for Kima or, or the world in, in general. Society okay. would, would frown upon it. But back to the Kima logo, Gerlach, and I guess I owe him a dollar now, right? Because he requested every time I say his name to give him a dollar. But Bob Gerlach made a new logo, and it's actually the logo we're using right now for the Kima podcast. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's uh, awesome and uh, definitely was a much-needed upgrade uh, to the existing logo. Oh, for sure. But I don't want to interrupt you anymore. Go ahead. Oh, well, thank you. So, interrupt her instead. No, new logo, media committee created. Gelman, did you have anything you wanted to add in there before I continue on? No, if I do, I'll just interrupt you. Oh, okay. That's good. Um, And then we did talk about the podcast and how happy they all were with the podcast. And we got listens. What did you tell me, Ireland? Yeah, we actually, because. We can see the analytics of who's listening, not like by name, but by city and state and country. And we actually made a, a Google map of the Kima podcast listeners all over Pennsylvania. And surprising to me, someone in Ireland uh, listened to the Kima podcast. So we've we've now transcended the ocean. Is that a word? Transcended? Is yeah. that the right word? Transcend means to go above. So yeah. Yeah. So we've made it across the ocean into Ireland, which is fantastic. And you know, the first two episodes, you know, we're averaging about fifty listeners per episode, which is a good thing. And uh, again, this will continue to grow. The more episodes we do, the more it gets shared throughout social media. And once we get it into the mainstream podcast platforms like Apple and Google Podcasts and iHeartRadio, it'll it'll even go, you know, way, way higher than that. And then the one thing the Kima board did talk about with the podcast is um, maybe um, getting the director uh, of Kima on the podcast. We came up with a list of questions and then figured out a time that we could interview him. I did put a request in with Kima um, with Bruce Miller, who's one of the public information officers officers there to talk to Jeff Jumper. So I am waiting to hear back from her regarding that. That would be fantastic. I, you know, I think the more Pima people we get involved, the, you know, the better quality of a, uh, of a podcast service that we can put out there for everyone. But any, anything more from the Kima board meeting? Just one thing on, as a side note, as part of the Kima board though, but this is an election year for Kima officers. So if you guys are listening and you would like to join the Kima Board of Directors, let us know and we can talk to you about how you can join Kima and how you can be um, a part of the the board meeting and on the board. And they can find the list of uh, positions open and Uh, and the the list of officers, kima-pa.org. 
That's chema-pa.org. And uh, you can click on uh, board of directors and get everything that you need right. in regards to the, the upcoming elections. So I do know also you got a voicemail from a young lady that's in an emergency management class. Why don't you tell everyone about that? Um, she goes to, do you, was it Penn? I never remember the name of the university. It's out east. It's in Penn, like Pennsylvania Technical College or some, one of their, they have a, a very active emergency management program. And um, she did call and say that she'd like to be interviewed for, for the podcast. Yeah. We just need to figure out how to get that to be able to phone in like a second person. Yeah, I think it would be fan- I think it would be fantastic to you know get some uh get someone that's going through uh, an emergency management class like that and be able to pick their brain and and you know everyone learns about, you know, what are they teaching because let's be honest, the 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 generation of emergency managers that are out there right now, you know, we're probably like you know, the police chief at one point, the fire chief at one point, the EMS guy, and just kind of fell into that position, you know, once they found out that they had to have it in the municipality. And, you know, then, then they just go take a handful of G classes, online NIMS classes, and, you know, they're the emergency management coordinator or deputy. And, uh, you know, so that goes right back to talking what we had all talked about at one point, I think on one of my EMS talk podcast the three of us had that discussion about emergency management and the need to make it more credentialed and more professional and i think the you know that's that was kind of one of the goals of the cem program right gelman was to lay yeah. that level I mean, of professionalism the CEM was kind of a, uh, a joint effort between the iaem and, and fema and wanted to develop a program a credentialing program that uh basically emphasize the the professionalism in emergency management so there was uh, a lot of uh, there's been a lot of revision over the years as to you know what you need to do to uh, get that credential but uh, they uh, a lot of states also have kind of come up with their own um, credentials as well Pennsylvania's is kind of still based on just taking classes and not so much I mean there you do have to have before you can progress to the next level, you have to have uh, like a year of experience, I believe, in the previous level for the municipal and the county level certifications. But uh, a lot of states also have um, additional like educational requirements and beyond just taking classes and also have uh, um, professional contribution requirements and things like that. Well, so- I know though for the county level, sorry to interrupt you there, Josh. But for the county level coordinators, they have to have drills and things like, like they have to do, you know, some hands-on stuff. It's not just educational. Like our director, we have a new director who doesn't have his county, like the county professional. Or, you, you can't you know, even, but you, you, I thought to get to, to get the county level certification, you have to be in a county level position. Correct. Yeah, so it doesn't, it won't apply to local municipal emergency coordinators or anybody. Point. So I guess here's my question, and, and I truly don't know the answer, so one of the two of you might. If someone goes through a, a college emergency management program and they graduate with a, I'm assuming, a bachelor's in emergency management, yeah, th- is, is that considered the equivalent of a CA, CEM? No, a professional? I mean, you can, it'll, it'll allow you to, you can apply um, 
it'll give you credit towards the CEM. So I believe it, if you have a uh, four-year degree in emergency management, I think it applies. You, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. There's there because there's so many credits you have to have in general management, and so many credits you have to have in emergency management. And you also have to have a bachelor's degree just to even qualify for the CEM. So to, to, to get the CEM, a bachelor's degree is going to meet that one requirement that you have to have a bachelor's degree to, to even to even uh, go for it. And then the classes that you took for that bachelor's degree can be applied towards those credits uh, that are required in management, general management and emergency management training. Um, and then you could apply other things, other educational uh, accomplishments if you have a higher level degree, a master's degree or something. Uh, Pennsylvania actually has a couple different programs in emergency management. I know there's the Pennsylvania College of Technology one that Amy was talking about. That's affiliated with Penn State. And then Millersville has a pretty active program. And uh, Cal U, California University of Pennsylvania, has a degree program that combines emergency management and GIS together, um, which is That's uh, actually pretty, pretty smart. Yeah. Combining GIS into emergency management. But, you know, doesn't CEM or IEA, IAEM, they also have an associate emergency management Yeah, so if too. you don't have the educational, like if you don't have a bachelor's degree or you don't have the number of years of experience, because I believe you have to have five years of ex- five years equivalent full-time experience in emergency management for the CEM, um, you, can, uh, take, you can take the same exam as the CEM candidate, and you can also... Uh, um, uh, you'll have to write an essay and there's some other requirements as well, but you can get the AEM. And then as you progress through your career and accomplish more things, you can then uh, upgrade to the CEM once you meet the requirements of the CEM. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, Amy, I'm not sure. I know you're like a big social media person. June 20. June 27th is uh, Social Media Day. It is. It is. So it's what, a wonderful day. So what are you planning on doing for social media? Like, every day is Social Media Day. For me, every day is Social Media Day. But it's a good day to go out, and especially in your communities and things like that. Um, maybe get your police department or your emergency management staff all together and wear funky socks and, and tell your story. Get more behind the scenes of it. Of, um, of your EOC or your daily operations of your 911 center, emergency management office, EMS station. Show people, bring people in. Transparency. Yeah, it's a great idea. So. We'll, have to, we'll have to do something like that. And, um, you know, as the closing music is bringing us to the end of episode three of the Kima no, podcast. Yeah. I have one final question for both of you because I do know that we all have a lot of EOC experience. I'm going to start with Josh Gelman. Gelman, during EOC operations, what is your go-to snack? Um, I like shrimp cocktail and onion rings. Shrimp cocktail. He does. Uh, listen, I picked him up one time to go to a pirate game and he had a shrimp cocktail ring that he ate on the way to the park and threw the tails like out the window do you like pick it up at like sam's club or something like that Costco? no i had i i don't i forget where i got it i could have got it at a gas station for all i know but oh my god you're killing me <laughs> amy what's your go-to snack for eoc activations uh twizzlers and wawa ice cream 
Well, at least you said Twizzlers and not Red Vines. Yeah. <laughs> Twizzlers and Wawa iced tea. Yeah. I do want to make one final comment because I was uh, I was looking at the CEM requirements, and it's three years of uh, experience, not five years. But if anybody wants more information, they can go to the IAEM website, IAEM.org, and then click certification to see what all of the uh, requirements and are for certification. Yeah. Okay. Wait. What? What's yours? My go-to snack during EOC operations. I bet I could answer it, too. Go ahead. I like salt and vinegar potato chips and Swedish fish. That's it. So. I thought you were going to be like mashed potatoes. No. Josh. I thought he was going to go uncrustable. So, hey. Josh, thank you for coming in for episode three. Yeah, it was a tough trip to make it up here from down the street. I know. Amy, enjoy the rest of your holiday weekend in Western PA. I will, thank you. This has been episode three of the Kima podcast. Thank you for listening.